you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. The 2019 Pro Bowl vote is here. Which NFL players do you want to see at the 2019 Pro Bowl in Orlando? Vote today at NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here back on Move the Sticks. Buck, how you doing, bud? Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great because I saw a fascinating Monday night football game. Where I'm pumped up. I'm pumped up about Eli Manning and Odell Beckham and, and the positivity that was coming out of their locker room after their win. A lot of love, right? A lot of love. A lot of love. A lot of love. That big so win over that. skills. Yeah, big win over the Niners. Yeah, the Niners, great football team. Uh, let's, hey, they uh, all count. They all count. Hey, no question. I, trust me, I get it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this game here in just a minute. Uh, also on the episode today, Buck, one of your former coaches, an all-timer, we're going to get to have on the show Mike Holmgren, Super Bowl winning coach who's really been around some of the greats in the history of the National Football League. We have a, a lengthy interview with him. You've got a great relationship with him. Uh, I think the folks are going to really enjoy that conversation. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk to the coach. Coach has done a lot of great things in the National Football League. A guy who was a high school coach for a decade before making his way into the National Football League. Uncommon story, uncommon journey for an NFL head coach. Yeah, we're going to definitely uh, uh, look forward to that conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it as well. Talk a little college football on here and uh, we'll get into the draft order it's always uh, nice to pick your head up this time of year and take a glance out in the future and see what that draft order uh, looks like we'll do that as well but let's start right here uh, you mentioned it Buck I, I jokingly said look the 49ers not a good football team they all count they all count the same and that mm-hmm. was uh, that was definitely an uplifting win an uplifting moment there uh, for the New York Giants especially with the performance there of, uh, of, of Eli Manning getting the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. finally yeah, he found, he found a way to get it to him. But I think the thing that is telling about where Eli Manning is, 
Odell Beckham Jr. runs a double move. He may be past the secondary by about 20 <laughs> yards. And he waits for a pass from Eli Manning that looked like a punt. Like he was sitting there waiting Arm and punt. waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it did, couldn't get there. And so the Giants are really, really limited in terms of what they're able to do because they can't necessarily push the ball down the field. Eli just doesn't have – he just doesn't have the range anymore. And so they're really increasingly reliant on the – the playmakers' abilities to make things happen with the ball in the hands on on run-after-catch plays. And what we saw is they're talented enough to be able to win some games like that, but it just makes it so much harder. But Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley's angle route coming out of the backfield, his ability to create mismatches, he is everything that we thought it would be in terms of being able to make plays in the passing game. No question. Uh, he's a he's a fantastic player. They still have some some needs up front. I know they played better in this game, only gave up one sack. Uh, but they do need some better personnel along that offensive line. I, I want to switch it over to the other side because it's not easy when you're sitting here at two and eight, as the as the San Francisco Giants are, uh, San Francisco 49ers are. Sorry, the Padres. Uh, I'm just waiting to see what they're going to do in the free agency period here. Got baseball in the brain. Uh, no, the 49ers with only two wins, Buck. Uh, but when I, I look at this team, I want to give them a little bit of hope going forward into the future because. They're starting to identify some young pieces here. When you've got Matt Breida, who went over 100 yards in this game, did a nice job uh, catching the ball as well, had a, had a touchdown through the air. You look at George Kittle, who's emerging as one of the better young tight ends How in, about the, in that? the NFL. Man, and never saw got, that one coming. Never saw yeah, that one coming. I didn't either. He didn't hardly do anything in college. So uh, they've got some young weapons. And now you think about, okay, next year you get Jimmy Garoppolo back. Next year you get Jarek McKinnon back. They have another high draft pick. Maybe you sprinkle in a free agent or two. I know, I, I feel like it's you don't want them to turn into the, what the Jags used to be where we always talk about, oh, next year, next year, next year, next year. But they are adding pieces. And that's what I was, was thinking when I left the, the Oakland Coliseum last week was, okay, you're going to have the, the building process, the rebuilding process. We talked about it with the Jets. Um, you look at it here with the 49ers. The, the key is, where are you at in that process? It's nice to have a top five pick when you have at least a handful of, uh, of building blocks in place. And I do think the 49ers, and then you go over the defensive side of the ball, we know they've got some young players there. You know, DeForest Buckner is a special player. Uh, they've got some guys on that side of the ball that, that get you fired up, and Fred Warner is another rookie who's playing well. Um, so if you have a handful of those building blocks, man, this thing can happen for you. You can turn it. it, it just It's like that, that flywheel. You keep pulling on it, pulling on it. Eventually, that thing is just going to start spinning. I think they have some good pieces in pl- place there with the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's certainly things to build on. The one thing that continues to impress me about the San Francisco 49ers is Kyle Shanahan's ability to really make every quarterback look like a competent NFL starter. His ability to use the run game, play action passes, misdirection, deception, to create easy completions for the quarterback is something that is, I mean, it's almost unrivaled in the National Football League. Nick Mullins looks like a very, very competent mid-level starter in the National Football League, even though he's an undrafted free agent. And then when you look at their defense, they do have some pieces uh, up front. They have some guys that can get after the passer, need to continue to address some of the things in the back end. But I like how the San Francisco 49ers uh, appear to be trending. However, at some point, you know, that window where we talk about, like, hey, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. they got to win some games. they got to win some games. they got to start yep. putting some dubs in the column. And so we'll see. We'll see how they finish up this year. But, yeah, I think you can be optimistic. But next year, 2019, they got to start getting it done. Jimmy Garoppolo has to play a huge role in that. No question. But uh, it's definitely interesting. Speaking of the, the 49ers, I thought we'd look at here at the, uh, at the top ten. If the season ended today, uh, your Oakland Raiders would have the first overall pick. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals would be second, 49ers third, 
Uh, you got the two New York teams once again, Jets at four, Giants at five, Cleveland at six. It's been a while since we've seen them pick down there at six. Tampa Bay at seven, <laughs> Detroit at eight, Buffalo at nine, and uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Denver at ten. I believe it's Denver at ten. I can't even read my own writing. Man, that's – That is Denver at 10. Wow. There you go. So there's your there's your top 10 there. Anything interesting uh, jump out to you there? Well, I think the thing that, that jumps out to me at the top of the board, uh, if you're the Oakland Raiders, and we know the depth of this draft is really going to be on defense, pass rushers um, and the like. But if you're the Oakland Raiders, you have an offensive-minded guy who is in control of the program. Do they look to fix their offense? Do they look to find more explosive weapons? You talked about it uh, on Monday's podcast. You talked about – they just don't have any playmakers. They don't have yeah. any playmakers anywhere. And so what are the playmakers that they can invest in? Are those playmakers uh, a defensive end or a defense tackle that can create uh, headaches by being able to pressure the passer? Is it someone in the passing game? I don't think that there's a wide receiver uh, that's worthy of being like a top pick in this year's draft. We'll see how it plays out. And then finally, we have to address the Derek Carr situation because Derek Carr appears to regress. You were there. You saw him. I mean, does he still look like a guy that we used to talk I don't about? Know. It's, as it's hard. It's, I mean, you know, it, when you get there, look, he's not playing great, and, and uh, that's obvious. But man, again, I keep coming back to where, where do you go with the football? Like, what do you do? <laughs> you know? So I, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's tough to make an evaluation when you don't have anything, and there is literally nothing. They, they have nothing on that team right now. Nah, I mean. They don't have anything. It's amazing that this team was 12-4 and four a couple seasons ago, and now they're at the bottom. The and one they're at the bottom with, with three three picks in the first round. I, gosh. You know, we keep coming back. We talked about this in the springtime about philosophically, um, you know, building your roster, and there's two different ways to do it, right? You have the let's build up the entire roster and then let's drop in the quarterback, or do you just get that franchise quarterback and then spend the next years trying to surround him with talent? I, I think because this Raiders team is so void of talent, and they have a lot of draft picks. I almost think the smart thing to do at this point in time would be, okay, um, even trade back with some of these picks and just collect as many as you can. Don't don't just just leave Derek Carr there for right now, and go. You have so many needs, so many different places. You can trade back if they're picking first. You know, at that point in time, I think I probably would take Bosa. Uh, but their second pick is uh, where is their second pick here? It would be sixteen. Like for me, 16, I might even, you know, trade out of the first round. Maybe you get a, a, another one next year. You have three ones the following year, pick up some, some multiple picks in the second, third round. They have needs everywhere. And I think I, I would look for them with some of these extra picks they have uh, to trade back a little bit. They have uh, they would pick right now. Uh, they have one, they have 16, and they have 25. So 25 would be the pick they got for uh, for Khalil Mack, 16 from the Cowboys for Amari Cooper, and then they've rightfully earned number one. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, right now, I don't have a lot of confidence in the picker, uh, be it John Gruden or even Reggie uh, Maybe go like get some more go, picks then. You give yourself more room. <laughs> more lottery tickets. But this, yeah. Maybe you just add more bad players. I don't know. But they have to figure it out because now they're in a total rebuild. I know free agency, they can go and try and find some guys. And maybe they find their offensive weapons uh, in free agency um, like that. And then they commit to building their defense up through the draft. But regardless, the Oakland Raiders have to get it right. They have to find some playmakers in this draft. I think a fascinating team to really look at, and, and, and we've talked about it, um, the New York Jets, because the New York Jets now, they have their quarterback of the future. Uh, mm -hmm. Potentially they could have a new coach. 
when we look at this draft, we talked about this draft being very, very heavy when it comes to defense. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a running back or a wide receiver that is worthy of being picked. Maybe there's a tight end. But can you take a tight end in the top ten? This can, might be – you know what this is going to be? a difference maker? This is going to be a uh, uh, go defense in the draft, and it's going to be all your free agency focuses on offense for the Jets. That's my guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's what it will will have to be, and and we have seen Mike McCagman uh, take the best player available whenever he's been in the top ten, and it's worked out really well for him. Leonard Williams, uh, Jamal, Jamal Adams. Adams, even in the top twenties when they took Deron Lee, uh, it has worked out. They do a good job of drafting defensive guys, so maybe you're right. Maybe they do commit their free agent capital to being able to find offensive guys, and they continue to draft and kind of build up this defense that has been disappointing of late. But this defense is still loaded with talent. You know what I forgot is that uh, Green Bay, having uh, made that trade with New Orleans, when New Orleans came up for Davenport, they have two ones uh, in the first round. Right now, if the season ended today, uh, Green Bay would be picking, let's see, they would be picking 21 and 31. So two first-round picks for the Packers, chance to, to get better there. Uh, I'm interested to see. Look, we got plenty of time to, uh, to jump into the draft stuff. Speaking of the Green Bay Packers, uh, this is a fun conversation. I think you're going to enjoy uh, getting a chance to talk with one of the all-time great coaches in the NFL and the uh, the new focus here on the NFL uh, football life. Here's our conversation with Mike Holmgren. All right, Bucky, I know uh, I'm fired up for this interview. You might even be more fired up for this interview. A man you know quite well, Super Bowl winning head coach Mike Holmgren joins the show. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Good to talk with you. Well, I know uh, I know Bucky wants to jump in here right away because you guys go way back. Go ahead, Buck. Hey, Coach, it's, it's such an honor to talk to you because it's been a while. Um, the first thing I kind of want to talk to you about, obviously, you had such a remarkable career in terms of coaching quarterbacks. What are some of the things that you look for when you're looking at a quarterback and where they can be a franchise quarterback? Well, it, it's, uh, I was very fortunate, you know, to deal with uh, some great players over the years. And I know when I was with the 49ers and was sent out when I was the quarterback coach there to actually – scout out the quarterbacks all over the country uh, that they, we might draft there. Of course, Joe Montana was playing there, but we went over. He, I had to look at a lot of young guys. And so I did, I did kind of prioritize my list of what I thought was important. Uh, it started with, obviously, the, the most obvious thing is can he pass the ball and can he be accurate? That's the number one thing a quarterback has to be able to do. Secondly, his intelligence and his ability to grasp your system and understand uh, what you wanted to do. Uh, thirdly, his judgment. And you can look at film and, 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 and look at things like that. And then lastly, his ability to move in the pocket a little bit. Now today, you know, the quarterbacks are running more than they used to. Uh, but in those days, uh, just it didn't have to be a great runner, but he had to be able to get your first downs running on occasion but move well in the pocket. So those, those are the four main things. Coach, I, I want to hit you up on, on that thought there. We wrote these down. We're always keeping track uh, at that position of, of what people have been wildly successful are looking for. So of, of all the quarterbacks that you've been around, I want to see who you would say uh, was tops in these individual categories you just mentioned. So if we started with the number one thing being accuracy, all the greats that you've been around, who was the most accurate quarterback you coached? Well, Joe Montana was the most accurate. And, and they've – listen, I – I've been asked that question a few times because, you know, I was able to coach Joe and Steve Young and Brett Favre and Matt Hasselbeck and Steve Bono and a bunch of guys. Uh, but uh, Joe, Joe was remarkable. He was the first, when I came into the league, 
I got to coach Joe Montana. Pretty good for a young quarterback. <laughs> Not too bad. How about the next one? Just uh, intelligence. Don't worry about insulting anybody here, coach. They're all smart guys. We're just saying who is at the top of the who is at the top of the food chain. Yeah, and, and I would I would I'd probably add a word: football intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are guys who are great students in classroom and all that, but football intelligence is is uh, a, a little bit a little bit different, I think, in your ability to understand the game and understand your coach and the scheme you're running. And I would say there's there wasn't a lot to choose. Once once they understood it, uh, they were able to execute it. Now there were times with with Steve when he came to the 49ers and Favre when I had him as a young player, Matt Hasselbeck as a young player, that you know it takes a while before they can function. I think at their at the top of their game, you know a year or two in the same system. I think that's very very important. And all of them at some point came up to me and said. Coach, I get it. The game is slower for me now. I understand it. And I said, well, good. I'm glad. You know, it, why did it take you so long? <laughs> how about how about I'll just jump to movement there. Last one, Coach, the, the, the movement. Well, Steve Young was, the, was a great runner. I mean, he was – I had him in college at BYU. And he, he, uh, he really could run. And uh, Brett and Joe and uh, – were had ability that way too they didn't use it as much and then matt i'd say was uh, more relied on on dumping the ball off uh you know i, I kind of was worried when he started running on occasion <laughs> but uh with with steve I, and I, i've told steve this and, and he knows this steve when he get into trouble he would use his running to get out of trouble at on a, even in the pros early on and uh when he dis, he learned the offense enough to be able to dump the ball off and not take the punishment running that he could get those first downs and get out of trouble dumping the ball off and passing the ball, then that was the next little step that, that he became a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, Coach, it's funny. You talk about the development with Steve Young developing kind of from being, I guess, what would be called in today's game a dual-threat quarterback to being able to play it from the pocket. Um, being in Green Bay with you and watching you personally work with Brett Favre, what were some of the challenges of taking a guy that is super talented but not, quote-unquote, a structured player within a system? Bucky, I don't know if we have enough time <laughs> to go over uh, all, all my challenges. With No, I, actually, I, I tease him about it to this day. He was I had more fun coaching Brett, I think, than any player I ever had. But he was, uh, he was kind of a, a, a wild stallion. He was uh, tremendously talented. And he had played the game a certain way and been good at it uh, for, for a long time. And then I remember at the end of each season, uh, I would meet with the quarterbacks to see what can we do to get better next year? How can we make our game better and the team better and all that? And I went over a number of things with him. And he said, Mike, that's not how I play the game. I play the game this way. And, and I'm kind of, and I said, okay, but you want to go to the Super Bowl, don't you? And he goes, yes. And I said, okay. We can be nine and seven. We can be ten and six, and 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 get to the playoffs. But if we want to get to the Super Bowl, I'm asking you to try and let's correct these things. And to his credit, to his credit, he did that. He he met me, and, and that's when when you can uh, get with a quarterback, a gifted quarterback like like Brett or any of those other guys, and they all of a sudden they're they're willing to meet you halfway. Uh, then you got something special, and that's what happened with Brett. You know, Coach, in, in thinking about that, because obviously um, when I was there from 95 to 97, 
Andy Reid was on the staff. And in talking to Andy, Andy had talked about seeing some of the same similarities in Pat Mahomes that we saw with Brett Favre and Green Bay. So I don't know if you've had a chance to talk with him, but if you've looked at it from afar, do you see Andy having to deal with some of the same challenges when it comes to developing Pat Mahomes as a young player in terms of harnessing him so he can kind of play within the confines of the system? I think I think that's the coach's job, Bucky. I think you get any get. Listen, they're gifted players, and they they get the credit, and you're there to help them be the best they can be. Uh, but yeah, they got to listen to you, and and it and, and if if a player, if a quarterback can stay with a particular coach for a certain length of time, and in a particular system, then and he's gifted like Mahomes is, and and Andy's a great coach. Uh, he'll be, yeah, that's a special thing, but yeah, you have to harness some of the things that maybe they got away with in college and, and, uh, and kind of explain why, what might not work so well in, in, in the NFL because of the speed of the defense and different things. But if they're willing to work with you and willing to, to try real hard to go with their great ability, then you have something special. Coach, when you look at uh, – you talk about Andy Reid and you look at all the hot coaches in the NFL right now and the offenses that are taking off. You look at Sean McVay, we talk about Andy Reid. You look at Doug Peterson. Um, you look at Kyle Shannon even with his creativity. All of it kind of – the traces all go back through you and through Bill Walsh. When, you, when you're sitting there watching games on Sunday, are you calling out plays and formations and going, oh, this all looks familiar? I, I used to do it a little bit more than I do it now, but I do see a lot of the same philosophies. You know, uh, uh, it's interesting in Seattle now, they're, they're, they've gone to a run-first philosophy, and it's been good for them. It works for them with their particular team. That's how they have to do it. But I was always like to throw the ball around, as Bucky knows, and, and have a little more balance. But, you know, it, it was uh, – I do. It, it's fun because Coach Walsh was an innovator. You know, he, he was – and I had the privilege of coming into the league and working for him and learning from him early on. and. And then I had Andy and, and, and John Gruden and Mariucci and all those guys when they were young guys work for me. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I always thought I was a good student for Coach Walsh. And I think those guys are good students when they work with me. And, and now they're great coaches in their own right and, and very creative. But it all stems from, like you said, I think, I think the uh, West Coast offense lends itself to being you, – you can do anything with it. Mm-hmm. You know, Coach, it's funny in, in saying that because we're talking about these coaches and these guys that were on the staff when I was there. Doug Peterson was playing. Uh, Gruden had just left, but Andy Reid was on staff. But now when I look at them, I do see the traces of the West Coast, but I see them doing things that we never talked about being able to do. Shotgun was a big thing where you were kind of reluctant to embrace shotguns. So now when you see Andy and Doug and these guys doing RPOs and all this fly sweep stuff – does it get a little weird for you to be like, uh, I mean, I'm okay with it, but it's a little different from watching the West Coast that has always been a staple. Yeah, it is, and I tease them about it. You know, I worked at <laughs> Super Bowl last year and had and had a good chance to see Doug again and, 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 and talk to him. And I said, where are you getting this stuff? I never taught you that stuff, <laughs> you know. And uh, I would do the same thing to Andy, but it's really fun to watch. I mean, their creativity, you know, what they've done is they've taken – you know, you're, you're coaching and you have a philosophy and you have a type of offense you want to run. And then all of a sudden you have these players. And so the good coaches and those guys you mentioned are all great coaches. They uh, take what they know and they adapt it and, 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 and 
make it bigger based on on the players that they have. And uh, the guys you mentioned have done a great job of that. It's fun to watch. Yeah, Coach, in, in thinking about that, Nate, so now all the rules are for the offense. And I know you're done and you don't want to coach anymore. But, man, if you could turn back the clock with the rules that they are today, would you throw it even more than you threw it back in the day? Uh, I probably would. I try, but I, we, Brucky, you know, we threw it an awful lot. I remember, I remember going to a press conference here in Seattle and, you know, you remember my line coach, Tom Lavat. Yep. Uh, you remember Tom and he was a great line coach and, and offensive linemen like to run block. They like to come off and tee off on guys. But I remember in me and say, okay, we're not running it anymore. I'm mad at the right. We can't gain a yard where we're, we're passing it on every play. And then they'd get me in a quiet moment. I calm down. I'm more mature now than I used to be. Uh, and they'd say, Mike, we can't pass it every play. I'd go, yes, we can. <laughs> okay, we won't, pass, we won't pass it every play. I'll, we'll run a little bit. I tell you what, Coach, I love these stories. You can hear more of these stories, by the way, of Football Life. It's uh, premiering Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern uh, on Coach Holmgren. We're interviews with Joe Montana, Steve Young, Brett Favre, and Matt Hasselbeck, the quarterbacks. We've been talking a little bit about – Today, Coach, I, I want you to see if you could help us on the scouting side of things here. Uh, in terms of questions, when we're going through the draft process, we both sat in those combine interviews. We've both uh, been through that process where you're meeting with these players. And a lot of times to find out the right information, you got to ask the right question. It, was, there, was there a go-to with you when you were meeting with these kids? I know Ozzie Newsom used to always ask about, give me an example of some adversity you've been through in your life and, and how you came out the other side of it. But to get to know these kids, and, and you go back to your time as a high school uh, coach and teacher, what, what are some good questions we can be asking these kids as we meet with them before the draft? I think you have to realize, whatever the question, however you form the question, you have to be – fairly certain, I think, that the questions you ask tell you whether, one, the player, that young man is listening, whether he's coachable, and, uh, you know, if, if he thinks through his answers, uh, instead of just the, just the rote answer, the normal answer that comes out. And there are any number of questions that I, I tried to uh, talk about family as an example. I wanted to know how, he, you know, how's family? Tell me, talk to me about your dad, your mom, boom. To me, uh, other, everyone's different. So, but to me, that was uh, something that told me a little bit more about the young man. The football stuff, the actual football stuff, you see on film. You, 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 I wanted to know more about really the, the inside because you can't see that stuff on film. You know, and you want to learn a little bit more about, will he listen to me? Can, can, can we, will we trust one another? And Look, at you. everybody in the draft, You make everyone makes a mistake now and then, but the way it's done now where everyone gets pretty much the same information statistically and all that kind of stuff, access to film, if you can be a little more personal in your questions, just to get a little feel for the chemistry, if you will, that's, that's going to be for not only between the player and the coach, but as the leader for that team. You know, Coach, I, I can't let you go because as much as we talk about quarterbacks, you also were around some great wide receivers, Jerry Rice and John Taylor and guys that played in Green Bay, Robert Brooks and Antonio Freeman. And the one thing that I've talked to these guys about here on the podcast, we've talked about the importance of finding wide receivers who were former punt returners. Can you kind of explain why that philosophy was big to you and why it's so important to have guys that can run with the ball in their hands? Well, that's, that ties in, Bucky, with the West Coast offense. You know, a lot of the throws that we had were 
uh, catch and then run throws. They weren't pushing the ball down way, way down the field like some offenses do. So when you saw somebody who could return kicks or return punts, first of all, the concentration to catch a punt under that kind of pressure, you know he was he had confidence in his hands. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, his ability then you could see him move and you could see him run. And I was always thinking about yards after the catch. And you take a guy like John Taylor, who played split end for us in San Francisco, uh, the slant, just the slant pattern, which is a normal pattern everyone runs it it's you think it's pretty basic and pretty easy well it is but then what yards do you get after catching the slant and i remember getting against the rams we beat the rams because he ran one for 80 yards and one for 90 yards to beat the rams to get us get us in the playoffs and that's a little slant pass and so yeah i think you look for that and those guys were good examples of that brooks uh, freeman was a punt return guy uh, I don't think Jerry ever returned punts. I didn't want him back there too much. <laughs> we'll, we'll just throw him the ball and let him work. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Coach. We, we won't take any more of your time. We know you're busy today. We could go on all day. I mean, Reggie White, a topic we didn't even get into, but you can check out and learn all about Great. Coach Holmgren and his football life, uh, which premieres 8 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. Trust me, this is going to be one of the best, and I cannot wait to see it. Coach, we appreciate your generosity with your time today. No, thank you guys very, very much. It was nice talking with you. Thanks, Coach. Good seeing you. Well, there you have it, uh, Buck. Man, I know uh, you have such a great relationship with Coach, but uh, I-, I took notes. I took notes throughout that entire interview. It's a great insight there from Coach Holmgren. Man, Coach Holmgren's one of the best. He's one of the best. He's been around it. He uh, kind of spits the gospel straight from Bill Walsh's mouth. And having been around him first as a player, coach, and then working in the front office when he was the executive VP and head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, um, he has a clear philosophy in what he believes in. I think the thing that is fascinating is to hear him talk and then to know that all of his descendants are kind of changing the way football is played. Andy Reid in particular. I can't tell you enough about Andy Reid. Andy Reid was the tight ends coach when I was there. Andy Reid would run the scout team. Andy Reid eventually moved up and became the quarterback's coach and was very, very close and instrumental in the development of Brett Favre. But I never would have thought that Coach Reed would be the innovator that we're seeing in National Football League. Um, When I tell you about that conversation that I had with Coach Holmgren, Coach Holmgren was serious about the time he was at BYU and BYU, they only had four running plays. And he talked about that was probably (laughs) three too many in his mind. And so to think about a guy who loves to throw the ball and to think about Andy Reed who worked up under him and saw the success that uh, Green Bay had throwing the ball all over the yard, to watch him in Kansas City where they do throw it, but they do a bunch of creative stuff, um, it's fascinating. But it all stems from the way Mike Holmgren ran that offense and ran that team in Green Bay because a lot of things that I see when I look at Kansas City still reminds me of the glory days back in Green Bay. Yeah, that was uh, – man, I enjoyed that. And definitely could tell the, the close relationship and the respect that Coach has for you and, and obviously it goes uh, both ways there. Let's jump in here real quick before we get out of here just from what we saw this last weekend in college football. Once again, the uh, the move to six bump has worked for a guest. Daniel Jones came on the uh, podcast, and all he did was throw for 361 and run for 186 yards uh, in a big game there for the Dukies. Man, he, he killed it. Like You know, like we're going to have to stop having these guys that are on – if they're going to impact the game that my alma mater is in. So we had <laughs> Will Greer on a couple of weeks ago, and he lights up the Texas Longhorns. Then we talked to Daniel Jones, and 
he still may be scoring touchdowns. Um, <laughs> he almost has 600 yards by himself, and the way that he is contro- the way he was controlling the action, he looked like the prospect that you had started hyping. He that that right there, that film, that is a signature game film in terms of his ability to make plays as a runner and a thrower. And uh, we are definitely on a collision course here with Alabama and Clemson. Uh, that showdown is coming. Looks like it's inevitable there. Uh, I think they both are going to be in the Final Four, obviously. They're both going to win their games probably in a blowout fashion and meet up for what? the uh, What is that, the fourth or fifth time they'll have played, played each other here in the uh, Dabo Saban era? Fourth time, I think, right? I know. So unbelievable. Saban's that. got them two to one right now. One was in the semifinal last year. So uh, I definitely think that's coming. One thing, I, I finished up those defensive linemen for Clemson, Buck. I'm anxious to see once you get a chance to really dig in and study these guys because um, Dexter Lawrence, as you know very well, has mm-hmm. been on the show. Uh, your dad coached him in high school. Big, powerful, physical, dominant run defender, hold the point of attack. Um, as a pass rusher, he's still more of a push-the-pocket guy. Yeah, then he when is you a watch, pusher. When you watch Christian Wilkins – um, look, if it's a tough man contest, Dexter Williams, Dexter every day Lawrence, of the weekend, yep. or sorry, Dexter Lawrence, every day of the weekend and twice on Sunday. Uh, but then when you watch, we watch forty-two and you see Christian Wilkins get on an edge and he gets some generates some pass rush. He'll get some tackles for loss. Now he will get caught, picked up, forklift and dumped on the ground, which you would never see happen to Big Dexter. Yep. Uh, but that does happen. So my thing is with the way the NFL is now, what do you value more? I think you have you to know, value. Ten years ago was Big Dexter. I, I I don't know. I think I might go Wilkins over him right now. I think you have to. Um, I, I think you have to. And, I, and I, I'll admit that I, I've had um, probably a crush on Christopher Wilkins in terms of what he could be at the National Football League level uh, for a couple of years now because I think he's one of the rare guys that I think can play anywhere along the defensive front and be an effective pass rusher. His athleticism, his body control, his balance, his hand skills, those are those are things that are really, really hard to find. Uh, super athletic rusher. But what you talk about is is correct. Like, I don't know uh, when it comes to his toughness. Um, his, oh, he his, gets his flat-backed up. way more like, than he you get, want a defensive tackle. He, he gets turtled up. Back. But then – there is such a value to having a guy that can be an inside pass rusher, and he has yeah. the ability to definitely go down and maybe be an inside rusher as a three technique, uh, even as a five technique. And so I, I ultimately believe it's, it's going to be what your philosophy is when it comes to harassing the quarterback. But I think on most boards, when it comes down to it, Christian Wilkinson, Christian Wilkins' pass rush ability will give him the nod and the edge over Dexter Lawrence on draft day. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see uh, with Cleveland Farrell because – um, I think you can kind of you can kind of try and make a Yannick Ngakwe uh, comparison there with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little bit tight coming off the edge, but man, he plays 100 miles an hour. He plays so hard, and uh, he's obviously been very productive. And you got seven coming off the other side as well, who's a good player. I think he's probably more in that uh, second round type type range, uh, but he's a good player as well in, uh, in Austin Bryant. So they they've got dudes, man. It's and then I tell you what, the kid that we saw at the opening, number three, that freshman. Oh my gosh! From uh, was it Xavier Thomas from IMG? Oh, wow! Yeah, dude, that dude has got some yeah. juice uh, they, they, coming off the edge. Man, they have everything that you could want. They are, I mean, they're loaded, man. They have so so many players. I mean, and you're seeing it. It comes down to the haves and the haves nots. There are only about seven or eight schools that I think can seriously vie for the national title, and they all are built the same. And I think uh, 
I'm going to throw Notre Dame in there because when I look at Brian Kelly, I think Brian Kelly took notes while he was getting that whooping in the national championship game <laughs> a few weeks ago. When you look at Notre Dame now, Notre Dame, I'm not saying they are Alabama, but they're built like Alabama, meaning they're big. They're big everywhere. They well, I'm, big I'm telling you, Buck, we, we talked about players. it the other day. If you look at the offensive linemen since that game, Notre Dame's produced better NFL offensive linemen than Absolutely. Alabama has. Yes, I'm, and they're built the right way. They have big wide receivers, big physical running backs. When you go to their defense, even their DBs are long and, and, and physical and, and big. and So they have kind of like that heavyweight fighter mentality, and it's playing out on the, on the field. And then the two teams that we always have to talk about being in there, Ohio State is always in the mix. They're probably more talented than they are together when it comes to the chemistry and continuity, but their talent gives them a chance. And then Michigan. Michigan plays a style of football that will give them an opportunity to play. Now, are they talented enough to go toe-to-toe with Alabama in a fist fight in a neutral site game? I don't know, but I do believe the way they're built, they look like one of those teams that could kind of be in the mix. There is still a chance, though, and then we'll finish with this, but there is a chance Alabama can be dominant throughout the whole year, could lose one game and be out. Oh, they lose in the championship game? If they lose to Georgia, in the Georgia's game. in, right? Michigan, if uh, – well, I mean, would it yeah. be Michigan or Alabama? Michigan would have won the Big Ten uh, yeah. with one loss. They, I would think they would get in over Alabama, don't you? They're both one loss. One won the conference championship. The other one didn't. And Michigan's loss is a good loss to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame goes undefeated. They're in. Yep. Um, and Clemson's undefeated. They're in. So, to me, I think there's a chance Alabama, by far the best team in the country, if they stub their toe once, they, they might be out. They could be out. Man, you know what? You just never know. I don't see it happening, but it's possible. You never know. The one thing about the Georgia-Alabama matchup we saw last year in the championship game, Kirby Smart knows how to deal with Alabama. He he knows them better than anybody. But this – that would be a good matchup. Good matchup to watch. They're just saying. It would be interesting to see what happens. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for us today. I appreciate you guys checking us out. Uh, We have a bunch of videos up, preview videos for NFL games, as well as uh, a video coming out on – the NFC East and who we like in that division. You can find all those videos, nfl.com slash mtsvideo or youtube.com slash nfl. Thank you guys uh, for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.